0: Well, hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam. And uh, I have a word for us today that I think will challenge us and hopefully get us into our scriptures and dialoguing with the Lord, praying, meditating. So uh, let's just begin by by acknowledging the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity once again to look at your word. And we ask for guidance, clarity, uh, you know, the light bulb to go off, uh, get any confusion out of our minds, and, and uh, we just thank you, Father, for this opportunity and ask for your blessing over this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, amen. Now, today I, I, I titled this Knife and Fork. I think you'll see why when we get into this, but it's really about eating, and particularly eating meat, the meat of the word. And, you know, this has been something I wrestled with For years, and I'm pretty confident a lot of you have as well. And it's this particular passage in scripture that many, um, you know, I don't, I honestly haven't heard much from the pulpit on this uh, over the last three, four decades. Maybe there probably is, but I just don't hear it that often. Um, But here we go. It's in the book of Hebrews. Follow along. It's in Hebrews chapter 5, starting with verse 11, and it's going to go through Hebrews 6, verse 2. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe." But solid food belong to those who are full of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Okay, I've got to ask this. Is there anything in that passage, in that scripture, I'm sure you've heard it before, but if it's not, if this is the first time, is there anything in there that concerns you? Because for me, (laughs) this one was one of those discourses of scripture that I, I had to always circle and have to come back around to because it is a head scratcher. And I imagine it concerns you too. Let's read the particulars that I'm talking about here in Hebrews chapter six, verses one and two again. Here it is. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Okay. So reading that again, could it be possible that there may very well be some things that have been done and we are doing for like, have been doing for like our whole lives in and around, you know, the churches, our church time and in and around Christianity that are exactly what this scripture is talking about, calling them elementary. And if so, if those things that are going on in the churches, and our Christianity is still elementary. Would that concern you? Or at the very least, would you be curious as to what this is talking about and what this means? Well, what, I can just speak for myself here. What, you know, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but what has been eaten at me for some time is this. From what I read here, and that from you know, and then from my personal experience in life and what I've witnessed just from people, the relationships, being a pastor, you know, for all those years. And this is not something I take great joy in or gosh, I'm even excited about in saying this, but it's something because I care, because I love people, this needs to be said. We have a very... Sadly, we have a very large segment of Christians who are highly advanced in nothing but the elementary fundamentals that are listed right here in that discourse of scripture we just read in Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. And that therefore means there are way too many leaders who have never moved the congregation on to more challenging things. You know? That, that, that's... <laughs> I mean, I think of it this way. I don't ever, you know, when I see sports playing, being done, or I see families, children, and they do something wrong, I don't necessarily blame them. I'm gonna look at the parents, I'm gonna look at the coaches. In this case, I'm gonna look at the pastors. I go, what are, you, what are you feeding them? What are you feeding these people? And I I also have too much experience with actually challenging people, challenging congregations, (laughs) and then having some in that congregation depart the fellowship because it was too hard or not laced with enough sugar for them. And I use that term sugar from an actual conversation someone had with me, one one of the congregation years ago, came to me, wanted to meet with me, the, the hus- a husband. He was a father of triplets. He was about my age. Uh, it was his second marriage. He had older children, but he had he had three kids, that triplets that were like 10 or 11 at the time. Very nice family, and he wanted to come and visit with me and talk to me about some things he had heard from me. And he, he came to encourage me not to be so challenging to the people, but rather to give the medicine, he called it, bring your medicine with a spoonful of sugar. That's the exact words he used from the Mary Poppins. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. <laughs> you know, I looked at him and I, you know, we, we agreed to disagree. He loved what he had been hearing. He just thought it was too harsh, too challenging, too um, blunt. And so, you know, I'm just saying, I think a lot of times, in other words, what, what I'm really trying to get at is I think we encourage continued consumption of baby food in our churches. And I think the, baby, the people only want baby food and sugar. You know, with the abundance of study and reading theology books, podcasts, conferences, I, I think we've created an illusion of maturity without the substance of maturity. So let me... Now, well, that's my little rant. But let me back this up a bit and explain why I'm saying this because maybe it's not clear. And I ask you to pay attention to the real possibility here for an offense to jump in from what I'm gonna be saying. I'm asking you to please have an open mind and heart about what you're gonna hear. Now, many of us, many who have read their Bibles are familiar with the author of Hebrews rebu- rebuking the audience for their spiritual immaturity. You know, in this little discourse at the end of chapter five, beginning of chapter six, he mentions the reliance on milk and their inability to digest meat. I remember a comment or something from one of the books from when I was pursuing my theology degree that addressed this very group of scripture. And it's this line that stuck with me then. It's probably that first time I really started to get challenged on this. This is what I was, I I heard. There is a vast difference between the childlike faith and a childish faith, and the two are often confused. Christians too often do not read up and do not live out what the fundamental elements of what being a Christian means. But worse than that is what seems to be the fact that those that do not read up on the fundamental elements of the Christian faith often stay right there discussing and reading books and attending conferences on the very same foundational topics for the rest of their lives. In other words, you know, to step out and apply this maturing worldview to to many people seems too radical, too, too controversial, too much of a sacrifice, and sometimes, they'll even say this, it's too antisocial. The real conviction for us today, therefore, lies in exactly what this passage in the book of Hebrews considers to be milk. Well, let's read it again for the third time. Now, let's read this. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is the third time we're reading this. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. This list is virtually everything we, I've watched this in many churches, that many churches consider to be the meat of theology. It's talking about what? The doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of repentance, the doctrine of faith alone in Christ alone, the doctrine of baptism, the doctrine of laying on of hands, the doctrine of resurrection, and the doctrine of final judgment. Apparently, apparently, according to this scripture writing, All of that is kindergarten or elementary at, it's kindergarten or at best elementary school equivalency. These are the doctrines the author of the book of Hebrews says are mere fundamentals and from which we need to leave behind and go on to maturity. And please note, please note, this is not saying we don't do these things or move away from these things. On the contrary, they should be so ingrained in us that these things should be like breathing, like we do them unconsciously, that they are so necessary that we could not function properly as Christians without them. They should come to us so naturally that we never forget them as they are a staple of our daily life. They are like the foundation of this Christian temple we are building. But what I do think this is saying is that we don't stay there and act like those things are the end of the story that we don't act like there is nothing more to learn and grow on in this Christian journey, that there is more to eat and digest, in other words. I think it's saying that a Christian's life should look like the life life cycle of a maple sapling, for instance. I mean, after our roots of faith are planted in the fertile ground of truth, we should grow strong as we understand God's word, as we draw close to the Holy Spirit, as we talk to God daily, and more importantly, listen to God. Via prayer. And we fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of us know that only with a deep root system can we endure the storms of life and prepare the next generation to, generation to follow in our footsteps. So I think, you know, I, I believe a natural or an obvious question to ask then, at, you know, when you're talking about something like this is, well, what exactly is this maturity to which we're supposed to move on. What is, in other words, what is this meat? It is instructive to see that the book of Hebrews itself makes maturity, which is also translated as perfection, a theme. The word perfection, the word maturity, used in Hebrews 6, verse 1, appears in other forms throughout the book of Hebrews as an attribute of what our high priest, Jesus Christ, has already achieved for us. And remember that the priesthood of Aaron and the law of Moses could not achieve this perfection, could not achieve this maturity. Only Jesus achieved this. And don't forget, from what Jesus did for us, we now as believers are to share in all that he did. In other words, the perfection Christ has achieved is the type of maturity in which we should be growing in also. That's what we should be shooting for, that's the goal. This is his work for us and in us. Fittingly, the word used in Hebrews 6.1 is in the passive voice. It should literally read, let us be moved on. When it says maturity, it should be, let us be moved onward. A brief study of this concept throughout the writings of Paul reveals a very similar context, the same kind of idea, which is what? It's growth unto maturity. What it reveals about that maturity of perfection is extremely helpful for one, for a Christian. For instance, look at this. This is in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, verses 11 through 16. with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Hallelujah. Amen. So a mature Christian, by this standard, will be one with full and sound doctrine for sure, but that's not all, folks. There's more to it. Let's read a bit more scripture before we say exactly what this more actually is. Let's go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter three, verse 14 tells us, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Okay, so here in Colossians, what is this rule of perfection? It's love, which is the same thing in Ephesians 4 we just read. But how, listen, here's the, how is this love expressed? Both passages make it crystal clear that it's expressed through the work of the ministry, through self-control, self-improvement, conformity to God's law, good works, good relationships within family, Business, good relationship in business with employees, and a good witness to unbelievers. You know, way too many Christians don't even apply the basics to their own lives that therefore could never teach others these scriptural concepts of love. Why? Well, I think it's because they're reluctant to move beyond traditions in their established comfort zones. Because they will not stop trying to blend in with the culture or they'll not cut some unhealthy relationships that are preventing spiritual growth. And because of that, they will never be able to fully understand the high priestly role of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, another observation I've made is that too many refuse to learn discernment. I refer, refer to the choice we make, not, we make this choice to not train our mind, will and emotions to distinguish good from evil. I think a lot of people just ignore it. I think they just don't wanna deal with it and they claim they would, you're gonna be you know, shocked at that right there. But a lot of us, by not doing what we know to do, that's making a choice not to do. Sitting on the fence of something is, is making a choice to not do the right thing so that you can usually get along. People all accept you. The choice not to learn correct use of scripture and a mistaken use of scripture. I know too many people. I'm, I'm shocked at what's available for the concordance, especially today to be in your hand in your phone. You can download the app that gives you the entire concordance. That, the old fashioned concordance book is a big bulky book. I started using that about 20 years ago and then about 13 years ago, Candace and I got the app, the Mantis Bible app, With the the concordance in it, it cost us $39 back in 2010. Oh my gosh, what a lifesaver. It's right at my hands. It's my fingertips. I don't have to lug around the book. So I try to encourage people to get the understanding of what the actual Hebrew and Greek meaning is of these English translations you're reading or whatever translation language you're reading. And I also got the Aramaic Bible. So, those three, you know, to concordance with the uh, Hebrew and Greek in it, and then the Aramaic Bible, I use those a lot. Those are my primary sources to understand what's being said because, too often, folks, too often in our English translations of the Bible, they're not accurate. They're not. <clears throat> you know, a. Uh, a close reading of Colossians 3 will reveal that Paul is merely applying several of the Ten Commandments to all of life. And I want to pause here a bit and insert a review of this guy called David, right, King David, that I think will also open up some eyes as to what maturity looks like. Now remember, when David comes on the scene, the king of Israel had been dis- is going to be disqualified right away, Saul, which was King Saul. The prophet Samuel prophesies over David as a youth that he's gonna be king of Israel because Saul's gonna get, is being replaced. He had his opportunity and, he's, and he blew it. But what David does is profound because David refused to get a promotion through his own efforts. David refused to fall into the trap of self-promotion. And here's the point relating to this concept, this concept of perfection or of maturity. Self-promotion causes many individuals many ministries to never reach their potential because they rely on self-promotion. Usually within ministry, under the rationalization that if I do this, more people will be saved. If I do this, more people will hear the gospel. If I do this, more people will read my book that I just wrote, right? More people will just, you just fill in the blank. You know, play this type of music and more people are gonna come. Yeah. And all the while, all the while, these people don't realize they are driven by this need for recognition and a need for applause and approval. It screams, it's screaming insecurity. And I'm telling you, there are there are sadly way too many ministry leaders that this applies to in the Western culture, in America that I've, I've seen them, I've met them, I've watched them. We find our, When we find ourselves in these moments of deep insecurity, when we are so desperate, for the acceptance of people. And when the acceptance goes to someone else, man, it provokes ugly things in us. And it surfaces as this sin called pride. And this is when we have a golden opportunity for repentance and humility to admit our own character flaws are being brought to the surface and exposed. So as David begins his journey as king, He displays to us before he is king, the ways of a king. It's all about character, folks. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about character. And a good question right here would be, how does a godly king think then? It's very important because this will correlate to maturing and perfecting in our Christian journey. All right, so about David here. David is in the back of a cave hiding out with his men because... King Saul is coming after David with his army to kill David. It's all recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapters 24 through 26. 1 Samuel chapters 24 through 26, recording all what I'm just summarizing here. Remember, at this point, Saul has already made attempts to kill David. So David's in this cave, thinks he's, you know, he's hiding there with some of his men. And Saul comes into the cave to rest and Saul believes that he's safe in this cave from David and his men. But David and his men are already in the back part of the cave. So so while Saul is sleeping, David's men come to him and say, hey, David, this is the time to kill Saul, man. This is the word of the Lord, David, right? Don't you remember that, that word given to you, David? God will turn your enemies over to your hand. You remember that, David? Well, here it is, David, and this is the divine setup, David. What are you waiting for? Come on now, you heard words like that in church every before? I sure have. Well, David had such a fear and respect of God to not fall into self-promotion that he would rather live under the oppression of an inferior king than take his role as king out of God's perfect timing. This is, this is a huge moment. It's such a great teaching moment. And this wasn't the only time David did this. Another time, David actually took Saul's spear and water while he was sleeping and went across the valley and got up on the mountaintop on the other side of the valley and said, hey, look, King Saul, I could have killed you, but your guards should be fired regardless because look what I have. I have your stuff, King Saul. And later, Dave prays to the Lord, says, please show mercy on my life as I have shown mercy on Saul's life. I mean, there. Folks, we all know David did some really bad things later on. But I think what David did while King Saul was chasing him set the stage for how David would be treated during his reign as king because he refused to take control of God's promise for him out of order. Just process. Think about this. A premature baby always needs extra care. If if we move into self-promotion, we are actually giving birth to things that need constant care, constant feeding, constant cleaning up after to keep them alive, which further implies that our identity is wrapped up in the breakthrough. Our identity is wrapped up in the miracle. Our identity is wrapped up in the, you just fill in the blank. See, too often we want God's banquet before we are spiritually capable to digest it because we haven't done the prop. We want to go to the penthouse, in other words. We might think we got some foundational things, and we don't even have foundational things set up, and we want to skip many floors while the building's being built, the temple's being built. Okay, so so keep all of this in mind. Let's return to the book of Hebrews, where we should see the exact same application being made, because God's word is like a thread weaving its way through Some, you know, our lives in the book of Hebrews, it's spread out over the long detailed discussion that takes place in this book. For instance, later on in chapter 6, let's read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says But beloved, even though we speak to you in this way, we are convinced of better things concerning you and of things that accompany salvation. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown for his name and ministering to the needs of the saints. God's people, as you do. Okay, so take note that the standard described is works of love and service. Now remember, we are trying to figure out how does one mature in our Christian journey? The, the writer of Hebrews kinds of, kind of digresses into more detailed comparisons of the Old and New Testament throughout this, this book, the book of Hebrews. And, and what that means, what it implies, is you got some homework, people. You've got to go read and research these things based on what you're hearing. The, the writer of Hebrews first digressed into the maturity discussion in Hebrews 5 verse 11 when he left off about Melchizedek. That's where we started today. The writer then picks back up on Melchizedek again in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 1 and discusses the priesthood until the end of the chapter. He then summarizes himself up to that point in Hebrews 8, verses 1 and 2. Then he speaks about the new covenant. In Hebrews chapters 9 and 10, he discusses the shadows of the old covenant some more, including the sacrifices in the priesthood. In Hebrews 10, verse 14, he arrives back at the point of maturity and perfection again. Here's Hebrews 10, verse 14. Scripture says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Well, this that scripture right there leads the author to a discussion of how we should then live in the light of Jesus's perfection for us and of us. So in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and 24, we read, Let us hold fast the, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. There, there that is again. That's, there's that good works again. And then what follows right after that is the famous Hebrews chapter 11, which gives a long list of good works and exploits accomplished by faith, right? That's the the hall of fame of faith is that's the Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all these individuals, right? It talks about things about everything from subduing kingdoms to suffering the worst kinds of persecutions. And I could even say more about Hebrews chapters 12 and 13, but I'm I'm hoping the point is clear. Moving on to maturity means moving on from learning, the learning of the basic fundamental Christian doctrines to the application of these doctrines in every area of our lives. The vast majority of even serious Christians today are considered serious because they read lots of books and go to conferences. But the vast majority of Christian books and conferences I see are far closer to the topics of milk than of meat. And yet we feel as if the milk books we read are in reality meat. Worse yet, the vast majority of Christian ministries out there keep their followers unweaned with an endless supply of materials on the basic level. <laughs> in other words, I think the issue that has me frustrated is I see endless debates over milk and Christians who are addicted to the nipple. And that is that is Fine. No wonder our culture is in the state it is, even though 75% of the people claim to be Christians. Because when introduced to issues or topics with meat, I, I'm just telling you, they don't even think it's Christian. They don't want to do, they don't, they don't know what to do with it. They, they kind of scoff and turn up their nose. They may even call it a cult or a heresy because they're addicted to the milk. I mean, the meat of the word not only scares them, it smells like poison to them. And as a result, followers can spend years or even decades stuck in the infancy described in Hebrews chapter 6, all the while thinking they're these super mature Christians. What is sorely needed is for Christians to begin to consider how they can apply biblical truth to all of life. In other words, let's consider how we can provoke one another to love and good works. The end of the Christian faith is a maturity defined by good works and service, folks. We are blessed for those that labored to build good foundations before us. But each generation is called to build upon those and go farther. Let's embrace a view of ministry that advances Christian worldview in every area of life. And we are so blessed because we have an ample supply of teaching in this book called the Bible to nourish us to nourish our mind, to nourish our heart, to feed our mind and to feed our hearts. The salvation gift also means, in addition, we receive the adoption gift, right? Just like a natural-born human goes through growth phases, a spiritual being goes through spiritual growth phases. In the natural, they are what? The baby, infant, child, elementary, teenager, and finally adult. In the Greek, those stages are referred to as, in the Greek, it's napios. Napios is the Greek word meaning infant, a simple-minded person, an immature Christian, a baby in Christ. We all start somewhere. That's where we all start. The next phase is pation, which is used quite often throughout the New Testament. It means a half-grown boy or girl, older than an infant, but not yet like a teenager. I'd say it's equivalent to like, you know, elementary school-age kids. The next phase is called technon. That's the teenager type of age. It's kinda like when we have like a youth ministry. High school, middle school and high school. Finally, the last stage is called wias. That means adult or mature Christian. One who serves and does good works repeatedly and relentlessly without notice or recognition and sacrifices frequently for the benefit of others. Many times, an obvious example of the we are stage in the natural is a parent, right? The parents do so many things for us, we don't even even thank them. They do it just because it's their assignment, their responsibility. So the first stage of napias is used for a non-speaking infant, one who still poops in a diaper, sucks on the bottle, drinks milk only, is all about me, is narcissistic and cries all the time as their means to communicate to get what they want. For instance, in the book of Corinthians, Paul is telling them when there is envy and strife all among you guys, he says, he uses the word, you are napios Christians, you are baby poopers, you are sucking on the nipple. In our culture today, many a Christian changes church during this stage when they get told that. And you know what, that's okay. That's a stage. But don't stay in that napias stage because we're supposed to be growing up spiritually. Next is the party on stage is when it displays a lack of our inward commitment but our strong outward habits and character on display. Kids want the action, kids want the fireworks, but often God's simple instructions are seen as dull, boring, and unexciting. And again, here's the deal, that's a growth phase. It's okay. So it's natural to spiritually grow to this phase, but also don't stay in that phase, but grow beyond this phase. And if you're noticing some things you're hearing here about yourself in these stages, then don't get upset when somebody tells you you don't know the meat of the word yet. Okay? That's all it's saying. You you can't know trigonometry until you get learn you know addition and things like that, or you don't get calculus until you can get the basics of algebra you got to go through the phases, which, which leads to the next phase, right? It's the technon stage, which is used many, many times throughout the New Testament. And if you're not sure you've ever been around a technon age, my experience has shown me that the church is full of technons as well. What I mean is you better ask them what they know because they know everything. And many of them don't do anything, but just talk as if they know everything. And finally, we have the final stage, which is the weas. That means adult or mature. It's when one fully understands their standing before God as the adopted son or daughter to take over the father's business because you're mature enough now. You've matured to the stage of constantly doing the father's business regardless of how all those around you are functioning. They have matured to learning the word of God and the righteousness of God. They have been trained to know good versus bad. They know how to discern per God's standard, not man's, which is this thread woven throughout scripture. Well, I hope this encouraged you today. I hope it it, uh, gave you something to ponder, pray about. God bless you all. Until next time.